Well, hey, church family, I hope you're doing really well. Man, I sure do miss seeing all your faces on Sundays, uh, being able to hug you, being able to high five, just being able to see, see your face and talk with you and uh, just really looking forward to the day when we're able to do that again. So uh, just know I miss you. Why don't we go ahead and pass the peace right now to someone, let them know that you're missing them, that you'd love to see them. Uh, maybe think a little bit outside of the box, maybe someone that you haven't talked to in a little while. Uh, it's amazing how much, uh, how quickly time goes by uh, before, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I, I haven't seen that person in months. And so anyway, go ahead and send some, a message to somebody right now and pass the peace. Uh, while you're doing that, I want to make a, a couple of announcements. First of all, just want to remind you uh, that we give every week here. We don't necessarily announce it on the live stream every week, but uh, you make sure that you're giving your tithes and your offering every week. We had a phenomenal year last year financially. Uh, I just see God's blessing uh, on our families and your generosity. Uh, just excited for what's to come this year as it relates to that. And so just make sure that you're giving as a, as a way to worship the Lord as well uh, this year. Also want to let you know that this week uh, on Tuesday, the night before Inauguration Day at 7 p.m., we're going to be having an online time of prayer, uh, kind of just praying for God's grace and his peace in the middle of a crazy, turbulent political climate right now. We believe that our posture is that we're primarily citizens of heaven uh, before we're citizens of earth, before we're citizens of a country, of a state, or a town. And so the posture that we have uh, is that we want to look at the current situation and climates going on on earth and ask for God's blessing and pray in accordance with the way he He's asked us to pray for, uh, for our government and for seasons like this. And so at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, we're going to be having a little bit of a prayer time, uh, just kind of asking God to bring blessing uh, in, the, in the middle of this time. This will not be a prayer for any particular outcome to happen. Uh, so that won't be the focus of our prayer. We're going to be following kind of uh, Paul's writing to Timothy on how we should pray in situations like this. And so I'd love for you to join us. Watch your email, social media for kind of details about where we're going to be doing that online on Tuesday. So we'd love to, for you to participate uh, in that. We're going to dive right in today to the Word. Before I do, why don't we just take a, take a minute. You've already spent a minute or two. Uh, you already spent a little bit in time in worship. Why don't we just take a second and just quiet our minds and hearts uh, before the Lord right now, just to get ourselves in a posture of being able to hear what He has to say to us. I'll pray for us and then pause for a minute, and then we'll dive in. So uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, just so thankful for your blessing and thank you for your um, pro provi providing for us. Thank you for the means to be able to do this today, to even though we're not in person, to be able to worship in freedom without fear of punishment. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Thank you, God, for sustaining us. Thank you for the ways that you've been caring for us. And I ask you right now to breathe out your presence by your spirit to each and every household that's watching this today, gathered together or alone. God, that the presence of the Holy Spirit would reveal the Father and the Son in this moment in a unique way. Jesus, come and point our hearts and our minds and attention to you. Father, come and bring the blessing of Abba Father in this moment, we ask. Good. 
helps me just to do that a little bit, get my, my mind and my heart in the right place. We're going to dive in into our, our series, our second in our series on first love. We kicked this off last week because I mentioned, I feel like there's this uh, special invitation from the Lord right now uh, for us to lean in and learn what does it look like for him to be our first love, to discover maybe for the first time or rediscover what does that look like? What does it mean? How do I grow in that? And like I said, I feel like this is an invitation more than it does a challenge. I feel like God wants us to discover something fresh and new in this. And so we started off last week with trying to define what does it mean to love God? It's a simple idea, but it can be a little bit complex if we try to really wrap our minds around what it means. And, and so, um, so I took a stab at, at trying to make it as simple as possible for me, and hopefully it was made it a little bit more simple for you as well, to take kind of the different ways that Scripture talks about loving God, the different metaphors and language that it use, uses, and kind of distilled it down to these two main ideas, that, that loving God is primarily about desire for God, and devotion to God, desire and devotion. If we were to break it all down, it kind of comes up in those two categories. Desire is all about, I see him as worthy and worth something to me. I want to be around him. I want to know him more. He's desirable to me. I have affection or affinity towards him. And devotion is all about being committed to what is pleasing and what is good for the thing that I am devoted to, in this case, God. So I want to see it go well with him. I want to do things that please him, that that bring him delight and pleasure. And I think if we were to break all the different ways that scripture talks about it, we would kind of distill it down to those two things, desire and and devotion. But God doesn't want us to just have desire and devotion for him the same way that we do everything else. He doesn't want us just to love him the way that we love everything else. He doesn't want to be one thing alongside many things that we love. He wants us uh, to have him as our first love, to be the thing that we love more than anything else, the thing that we love above and beyond anything else, the thing uh, that captures all of our being. And the way to describe that kind of being captured or wrapped up in in one thing would be love for God uh, with everything that we are. Our kind of key passage is Luke chapter 10, where, remember, Jesus has this exchange with a, with a person who's an expert in the law, and they land on this, that, that the most important thing, the way that we inherit eternal life, the way that we step into to, uh, living with God forever and ever, we can do that right now by loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We'll dive into kind of those different pieces that are mentioned there. and What does that mean uh, to love God in all that way? Uh, But the basic sense of it is like everything that you have is oriented around God. He is your first love and priority. And actually, we could and we will try to break that down a little bit and explain it in a little bit more detail. But the truth is, this is not like a mathematical equation, This isn't something that like we can put in a test tube and kind of, you know, try it out that way. Actually, love and love for God in particular is something that like songwriters and artists and poets have tried since the beginning of time, since man was able to think these kinds of thoughts about what does it mean to love God and and have tried to wrap their minds around how do we explain this thing? Uh, and, and oftentimes the, the, those kind of like more artistic expressions are the best way to describe love for God because it's something that's kind of mysterious. 
We're trying to demystify it a little bit, but at its core, it's something that can almost only be explained poetically rather than like reduced to a formula. And so I love the, the Bible because it's full of poetry and full of stories that help us understand what love for God looks like. And one of my favorites is in Psalm chapter 73. And we're going to look at actually Psalm 73 today in detail. But here's what it says right at the end of 73. This is verses 25 through 28. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. Basically, all of the world... If I were to take as high as the heaven, as low as the earth, and everything in between, there is nothing on it that I could find anywhere that would be as worthy of my desire as you are. There's nothing I could find that would be worth more than you are to me. You're the one thing I want, and you're the one thing I desire. That's this poetic kind of expression. He says then, verse 26, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Basically, uh, even if every, I lose everything else, my very life, my, uh, my, my, my uh, deepest longings and desires, my health even, if I have nothing, if I lose everything, I lose all of my money and everything that I think is of worth in life, you are the thing that I actually have, will have forever and ever. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. It sounds harsh, but what he is actually explaining here is the relationship between like a husband and a wife. The language here in Hebrew is really clear that this is talking about someone who has cheated on their spouse, a husband who has cheated on their wife or a wife who's cheated on their husband. They've turned away and they've turned their love towards someone else. But he says, but as for me, so I'm not like that. As for me, it's good for me to be near to God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. Basically, all I want to do is be close to you. All I want to do is be around you. And all I want to do is tell other people about you. It's good. It's like the most good. Not just it's good alongside of other things. It's the best possible good to be close to you and to be around you. And that is a beautiful picture, kind of this poetic picture of what it looks like to have desire and devotion for God, the way I think that God wants it from us and he wants it for us. It's possible, I think, to love God in this way. It's possible to experience love for God in that way. And I think if you've been around the church and you've heard us talk about uh, love for God in this way, you would know that this is like the Sunday school answer, that we should love God with everything. He should be our first love. And I want us to explore that in, in depth. I want us to kind of break it down a little bit and look at what does that actually involve? If I'm not there, how do I get there? All of those kinds of things. I want our love for God to sound like this, that this would be Mark how our church and the people a part of our church love God. But the truth is, if we're honest, uh, there seems to be sometimes this barrier between that description of what loving God looks like and where we are in our life. We read that description and it feels a little foreign to us. It feels maybe like uh, just too far out there. I don't feel that kind of depth of love. I, I have a hard time identifying with it. There's some kind of barrier or wedge between God and me that doesn't quite explain this. This doesn't quite explain me. So the truth is that this psalm, And this portion of scripture that I just read is written by a guy named Asaph, who uh, was apparently a priest, a Levitical priest who who was in charge of leading people in worship. 
So he was a worship leader. He was a person who would lead people in songs to express their praise or their lament to God. And for him, the person who writes this, there was some kind of disconnect too. He writes this at the end of the psalm. We just read the end of Psalm 73. But actually, before he gets to that ending where he says, this is how I love you, God, there's a journey that he goes on where he, he actually starts out in a very different place before he ends up there. He goes on this significant journey from feeling very distant to God, from then explaining his relationship to God like that, like we've just read. And I think it's helpful for us to kind of walk through this a little bit. Again, because I think that there, for us right now, if we're being really honest, for many people, whether it's us or people we know, there is a barrier between loving God this way and where we are. It feels like there's some significant gap and it feels a little overwhelming. It almost, if I'm being honest as your pastor, almost feels a little uh, like I'm preaching over everyone, not because you can't mentally comprehend it because we're just maybe, we're, not everyone is in this place where they want to love God in that way. And I've been there myself, so I can identify with that. I can totally have empathy for that. So I think it's important for us to dig in to this a little bit. So we're just going to walk through this psalm a little bit and see this journey that he goes on from to like where he lands, where we, where we just read and where he starts. And so here's where he starts in verse one. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped and I nearly lost my foothold. He's expressing here in the very first line of the psalm an honest belief. I know that God is good to Israel. This is a truth. I know it's true. And I know it's true for everyone. But for me, I nearly lost my way. I nearly slipped and lost my foothold. Basically saying, I know it's true for everybody else, but my personal experience was not connected to what's true for everyone else. I came to a place, he's saying, where I didn't feel like God was good to me. Maybe he's good to everybody else, but I'm not personally feeling his goodness. And so I almost slipped. I almost lost my way. That's what he's saying right at the start here. And then we get a window into what the actual problem was. So so what was going on in this person's mind that he felt this way? In verse 3, he says this, I envied the arrogant when I saw... For I, I'm sorry, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's saying this here is a kind of a, it's a little tricky language. Basically, I was looking around and I started to have envy in my heart for what I saw going on around wicked people around me. I looked and I saw people doing all kinds of evil. And we'll describe that in just a second. And when I saw them uh, like living in all this kind of evil, I saw them prospering. And actually, the word prosper isn't a very good word here. In Hebrew, the word where it says prosperity actually is the word shalom. And that idea of shalom was this idea that, that God would bring peace and prosperity to his people, that, that when God and his people were in right relationship, that there would be this, this peace that would come over them where everything would fit in its proper order, where God's presence was, was with his people and everything would be as he designed it. And that, in, the, in, the, in their minds, this was supposed to happen for God's people when they live God's way. And so here he's saying, look, I'm looking around at wicked people and I'm seeing all the evil that they're doing and they are experiencing shalom. But that's something that we good people are supposed to be experiencing. There's something wrong here. Bad people get bad things and good people get good things. At least that's how he was thinking and how we often think. 
And so there's this disconnect here. He goes on to say next in verse four, they have no struggles. Actually, that word is they, they have no restraint. Basically, it means that um, they were living totally free as though they wanted to. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. It, look, he's looking around at these people and saying, look, they don't even get sick. I'm seeing these people living all this crazy way around me and they don't have just normal human problems. Therefore, their pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves in violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity or, or sinfulness. Their evil imaginations have no limit. They keep thinking of new ways to do bad things is what he's saying. They scoff and they speak with malice, with arrogance. They, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Basically, he's just describing this to wicked people, people who are just descending into levels of evil. And he's seeing all this happen and going, what is going on? And then he says, look, here's the result in verse 10. Here's the result. This is where they have landed as a result of all of that. Therefore, their people turn and drink up their waters in abundance. Basically, they, people around them just want to live like them. They see that they're living this evil way. And they say, well, if you're living that way, I want to live that way. And it goes on to say, they say, how would God know? Does the most high know anything? This is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care and they go on amassing wealth. Basically, here's what he's saying. These people are mocking you, God. When they live this way and they live without any punishment or consequences for the evil that they're doing, they start to mock you. They say, does God even, does he even know we're do, what we're doing? We can live free. We can do what we want. God doesn't seem to care. If he's there at all, he certainly isn't interested in us. So let's just do what we want to do. He's saying, God, this is how people are talking about you. And then he says, this is where it gets really interesting and personal for him. He says, um, he says, surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. Basically what he's saying is, I'm starting to feel the same way that they do, that this is all for naught. God, I have been living a righteous life is what he's saying. I've, I've tried to keep my heart pure. I've tried to keep your laws. I've tried to worship you. I've tried to pray the right prayers. I've tried to worship in the right way. I've tried to treat people well. I've done all of the right things. And instead of blessing and shalom for me, I'm suffering. I'm feeling sickness. I'm experiencing all of these afflictions. Basically, the next thing is, is all day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishment. God, I'm looking at them and I'm seeing how they live so well and I'm looking at me and how righteous I've tried to live and, and it feels like you don't really care and it feels like you have utterly abandoned me. So surely this is all in vain. That's what he's saying. They're experiencing shalom, but where is my shalom? I thought this peace was mine is what this person is saying. So then he says, look, this was in my heart. Verse 15, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. Basically, he's saying this like, man, if people really knew how I felt about you, God, if people really knew what I was thinking and what I had in my heart, that I was questioning things in this way, I would have turned them away from you. I can't do that. I'm a leader. I can't speak that way. I have to keep those things inside of myself. If people really knew what I thought, they would be turned away from you. And then he says this, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. When I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply. Basically saying, look, the more I thought about it, 
The more I try to fix this thing, the more I try to rationalize my way into why is this happening? Why are all these bad things happening to me? And why are all these good things happening to everybody else? The more I try to figure it, it left me in this place of being deeply, deeply troubled. I'm disturbed and I actually find myself loving God less, I think he would say. Now, maybe this exact situation or the exact line of thinking has never come up for you. Maybe you've never looked around at the evil people around you prospering. That's not necessarily a, a, a real common theme for us today. Like, and, and that's been a source of real pain for you, a, a source of uh, difficulty and understanding how you relate to God. But my guess is at some point in your life, if you have walked with God long enough, uh, there has been some kind of pain point in your life, some kind of hurt, some kind of disappointment that you have experienced where you, you felt like it should have gone this way and it didn't go that way, where you felt like God should have answered a prayer and you didn't answer a prayer, where you maybe were overwhelmed with not necessarily the evil that you saw people doing, but by terrible things happening in the world, maybe terrible things happening to good people, and it led you to some kind of barrier between you and God where it was difficult to see that God was good and see that God was desirable and that he was worthy of your devotion. There was some, something that happened, this kind of like hurdle or barrier to loving God. And maybe that was momentary. Maybe it was just something that's fleeting. It maybe lasted just a, a quick thought in your mind or maybe it sat with you for a day or so, but it was momentary. It didn't really stick with you. Um, you know, this past year, I had a few moments like this, um, looking, looking around at the, the sickness that was going on in the world and seeing people suffer, looking around at, at seeing um, uh, people losing their livelihoods, and then our own personal pain. I took Charlie to the emergency room. I had to go to the emergency room. I took Jen to the emergency room, I think five times. Uh, we had other different kinds of sickness and difficulties in our life. There was a couple moments last year where I was like, God, I am just about done with this. I'm really struggling here. We're doing everything we know how to do right. We're praying all the right prayers. I'm trying to lead people the best I know how. And where are you in the middle of all of this? Now, thankfully, I didn't stay there. They were moments of these kinds of, uh, of feeling disoriented, of feeling like, God, I, I want to love you. I want to be all in here, but I'm struggling. And, and those moments passed for me. But sometimes it's not just a moment. It marks a season in life. It's not just a thought that pops into your mind. It actually is kind of a place that you go to for a little while where you are in such a deep, dark place of feeling like God is distant and doesn't care and he's cold because look at all these things. And it actually sits with you for more than a moment. It actually marks a season. And I've been there too. Most of you know my story, so I won't go into detail about that. I'm happy to share or talk with you about it. But, but in my college years, I went through a period of just one kind of terrible thing after another from, from really loved ones being very sick uh, and, um, and really seeing them be terribly sick to being emotionally and spiritually abused by people and leadership within spiritual, spiritual leadership within the church, from being abandoned by my closest friends and left uh, without any job, without any, without any idea of what I was going to do with my life. I mean, it was just a string of terrible things. And it ended up being a really dark period in my life where I felt like really lost for, for a season. 
Right now, uh, maybe you're saying, gosh, I don't really connect with this right now. I've never gone through this. Maybe I've had that fleeting moment, but I've never, I've never had a long period of time where I felt like God was distant and I didn't know how to love him. But here's the thing, I want you to know that there are people around you who do feel that way and have felt that way. Even now, there are people who have lost loved ones this year, people who have lost businesses and people who are struggling to reconcile uh, the different racial tensions that they feel or feeling uh, prejudice against them in some way. And they're feeling like, God, where are you in the middle of all of this? I mean, I'm just naming a, a few different things. It could come from any source. So there are people around us who are looking for God. Where are you and do you love us? But maybe you are there. Maybe you're somewhere on that spectrum. Maybe you're like, you're having a moment or maybe you've been in a season where, where you are here. But I think no matter where you are in this, if we dwell there and we stay there too long, it can actually become a really dark place for us. A few verses later, verse 21, the, here's what the psalmist said. He describes in a little bit more detail where he was in this process. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. So he was grieving wasn't just mad, he's grieving. And his heart is embittered where he actually, is, the, the wording there is where he soured it, something that's sweet that has turned to bitter or turned to sour like vinegar. And he says, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. So I go from hurting and grieving to acting senseless and arrogant. I actually don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to do what I want to think. And the image here is like a bull who is just charging at anyone and anything, unbridled, untamed. And if I look back on my life, when I was in more than that momentary kind of disorientation in my relationship with God, when I was in a longer season of it, this is exactly how I felt. At first, I felt grieved about some things, and then, uh, and, and then uh, I felt bitter. And then as I, that bitterness kind of set in, I was like, you know what? To heck with all this. I'm just going to do exactly what I want. I'm tired of trying to make everybody happy. I'm trying, tired of trying to please God. I feel like I've already done that. Exactly what the psalmist said. Surely in vain I've done all this. That's exactly where I was. I turned from a person who was hurting into a person who hurt other people. Now, I want us to remember that the same person who is saying all this is the same person at the end of the psalm who is going to say, God, I love you in this particular way. There's nothing on earth I desire other than you. So the question is, what changed? How do we go from being a brute beast, senseless, arrogant, bitter to God, there isn't anything on heaven and earth that would satisfy me the way that you do. What changed? Everything changes in this one simple line. In verse 17, right at the beginning, it says, Till I entered the sanctuary of God. And everything changes. Everything hinges on this one line. Here, he describes some kind of encounter with him, some kind of encounter with God that changes everything. Something happens in an encounter with God that shifts his perspective on everything in life. And it's interesting because it's just one line. It almost seems like it's not the focal point of the psalm, but it 100% is everything in the language of the psalm shifts from the beginning to the end. It hinges on this one line until I enter the sanctuary of God. And actually, um, scholars debate what exactly does this mean to enter into the sanctuary of God. In Hebrew, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of an interesting kind of phrase. And so scholars are like, what does this actually mean? But here's what I love about it. I, I think it's intentional. He's using language that actually uh, stirs our imagination 
And it gets us to think about what does that actually mean because he doesn't want us to necessarily follow a formula into this shift that happens to loving for God. He wants to evoke our imagination that this is possible. You see, because I could try to give you a formula. I could try to say, do these five steps and let's see what happens. See if you start loving God the way that this person loves God. But at the end of the day, it comes down to an encounter with God. And this guy knows it. At the most basic level, to enter the sanctuary of God could simply mean that he entered into the temple. And the temple was the place where the people of God would gather They would worship God. They would hear the law and the prophets being read or the Psalms even. He would maybe be leading people in these kind of songs. And and it was the place of the presence of God where God's presence was palpable in that place. It was a place of the presence. It was a place where, where the people were. It was a place where they would have these incredible celebrations of what God has done. So maybe he's entering into this place and is seeing people worship and he's hearing something. He's hearing the, the, the law being read. He's experiencing, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a vision he has. We just don't know. But there's one of the images is maybe this actually happens literally kind of in the sanctuary of God. It also could be that he wasn't actually in the physical temple, but he has an experience, a personal kind of experience that is as though he entered in to the temple, as though he entered into the Holy of, uh, Holy is, Holy of Holies, where he's by himself and he has an encounter with God that changes and marks his life forever, that it is as if he went into that Holy of Holies in the temple and met with God. Either way, Something happens that changes everything for him. Something happens where he didn't reason his way into change, but he entered into a sanctuary, entered into a holy experience with God where it changed and shifted his perspective. This wasn't about contemplation, although contemplation is good. This wasn't about uh, about rationalization, trying to reason his way uh, into kind of right thinking about this. Actually, the context is so crystal clear that this person was pursuing some kind of encounter with God. They were entering into the sanctuary. They were uh, actually approaching God as a worshiper, as a person in need, as a person needing to have an encounter. They weren't staying away. This is so, so critically important. They weren't staying away with arms folded somewhere at home saying, God, prove it to me. They weren't doing that. Instead, they were pursuing and seeking God. They entered into the sanctuary. Again, it could have been a word that they heard that like, oh, I believe that that's true and it ignited something. It could have been something God specifically said. It could have been a vision. We just don't know, but they were pursuing God and met God. You see, you can't get out of this kind of place, this kind of wrestle, this kind of tension, simply by finding logical answers to your questions. I'm not saying that those questions aren't important and the the answers and the apologetics and all of that aren't important, but they're they're a part of the process. You won't find those things that will cause you to love God. 
You, you can't find an apologetic argument that will lead you into loving God. It might get you to the place where you find that loving God is possible, that believing in God is possible, that he really is good. Maybe those kinds of things may happen. But at the end of the day, there has to be something where all of a sudden your heart is strangely warmed. Like many saints that have gone before have described that experience where we are born again, as Jesus would say, where something happens where there's an awakening in our heart that says, oh my gosh. This is who God is, and it changes everything. The reason why arguments won't work and all those kinds of things is because when you have this distance between you and God, the reason why that distance is there is because you're hurting. And when you're hurting, you need a healer. And you can't reason your way into a meeting with the healer. You have to encounter the healer. Somehow, some way in this encounter, he discovers or maybe rediscovers this idea of who God is and how God is actually working in his life. He says right after I was this brute beast and I was, I was arrogant, right after that, he says in verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into your glory. What he's saying is God... When I had this encounter with you, I realized you were actually there every step of the way. I could, my whole perspective shift. I could see that you were walking with me even though I couldn't feel you, even though I couldn't see you. I know that all along, God, you have been walking with me. And actually that revelation changes everything. You were always with me. You were always the thing that I needed. You're, you, and now I recognize that everything else I thought I needed, everything else I thought I wanted, all of that can be taken away. So the rest of verse 17, all the way down into verse 20, he starts to explain how it's like all those wicked people who seem like they were walking in blessing, it's all a dream. It's all going to be like they woke up one day and it's all gone. They actually aren't walking in any kind of blessing or any kind of shalom. They actually don't actually have any real kind of peace because everything that they're getting can all be lost. My health can be taken away. My wealth can be taken away. My friends can be taken away. My status can be taken away. But God, you are the only thing that I could never lose in my life. I thought you were withholding, this is kind of, I think, his mentality. I thought you were withholding wealth and happiness and health. But now I know that none of those things are worth anything compared to knowing you. He discovers kind of this shift where, where he recognizes in his heart that God is not just someone who is meant to fulfill his desires, the things he wants God to do. God, you are here to meet my desires and instead realizes that God is the one who is meant to be desired. He goes from someone who meets my desires to someone who is my desire. And he recognizes that all along, you are the one who I really wanted all along. You are the one thing I need. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul in Philippians who, who would say this, but, but whatever, gains, whatever gains I had, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. This sounds a lot like to me, like Psalm 73, the end of Psalm 73. Paul was a man who had everything that you could imagine. He was a rising star, a rising scholar. He was well-respected by his peers. He had the best possible education 
He probably was very wealthy. And he's saying, I don't care about any of that because all I want is you. It's part of me that wonders, does he have Psalm 73 running in the back of his mind? There's nothing in heaven and earth I desire other than you. And now he's discovered that all of that has come in this man, Jesus. And he's discovered that knowing Jesus is, he is the object of my desire. There's nothing else that he can give me other than himself that's actually worth having because I can lose all of that. And here's where I want us to kind of land today. I want to encourage you wherever you are, especially for those of you who are feeling like, gosh, I just do not feel anywhere close to having that desire for God. I want to encourage you to not give up. I want to encourage you today to not just sit in your sadness, sit in your disappointment, sit in your bitterness and anger and wait for somehow God to answer your prayer and then say, I will love you. I want to ask you and encourage you. And I feel like God's invitation is this, pursue him because he is pursuing you. I want to ask you in this moment and this time right now to not just sit and wait, to not try to rationalize, not, not try to come to a bunch of conclusions that will help you, God, help you end up loving God, but instead to pursue him, seek him. There can be a shift. I have good news. There can be a shift. There can be that shift from where this person starts in the psalm to where this person ends in the psalm. That can be your story. That is certainly my story. I am living with more joy right now than I have ever had in my life. I am just wanting to overflow and explode with joy, even though there is no circumstances around me that are going all that well where I could point out and say, oh yeah, look at this thing God you're doing. Look at this thing you're God. I just don't care about any of it. All I want is him. I'm telling you it's possible. But here's what I know, it has to come by revelation. It has to come from a moment of encounter where there is something that's unlocked in your heart where you discover that he is the desire of your heart. You might have thought you wanted these things. You might even really want those things, but he is actually the desire of your heart. He is the thing that fits the hole in your heart that you've been trying to fill and that you want God to do all these other things, but it is he and he alone because everything else can be taken away from you. That is what it means to have eternal life. When we discover who he is, the worth and the value that he has in our life, and we decide, I will pursue that, man, everything changes. And it can't be something that someone else can do for you. It can't be that someone else can convince you of. I can tell you how good God is, but at the end of the day, you have to discover in your own heart, he is desirable. He is worthy of my devotion. He has to be something worthy of something you'll pursue. And so that's the second piece. It's not just revelation, but you have to intentionally pursue this. You can't just wait for it to come to you. Like I said, I want to encourage you today to pursue, enter into the sanctuary of God. Now, look, I could give you five steps for how to pursue that, how to pursue this kind of revelation with God. Uh, I I could help you with that, and I'm certainly willing and would love to talk about that. We're actually going to explore even a couple ways over the next few weeks of how we can grow in our love for God. So so I don't mean to just leave you here without any handholds, but here's what I know for sure, that once you decide, gosh, I don't want to live this way anymore, and I want to pursue God above everything, 
everything else in my life, once you have made that decision that I can't live in this bitterness and this sadness anymore, I have to move on from this, I have to do something, nothing will stop you from pursuing him. And so me giving you a few steps for how to do that, that might be helpful along the way, but if you don't have a desire in your heart right now to pursue God, it just won't matter. And so here's what I know, that people who want this and are, who are saying, I just can't sit in this more, they will find a way to pursue, to enter into the sanctuary of God, as the psalmist says. So you've got Zacchaeus who climbs a tree so that he can see Jesus even from a distance. You've got a woman who uh, is unclean, who travels a great deal, goes, uh, follows, uh, follows Jesus for a long time just to touch the robe in the crowd to get healing. You've got a prostitute who breaks in and embarrasses herself and pours her perfume on Jesus' feet and then washes it off with her hair. When you decide I, there is nothing else that I can do in life, you are the only thing. Gosh, you will find a way to pursue it. You know, something will open up for your heart. So if you don't, you don't know where to start, just start with saying, I don't know where to start. I know I want this. I know I should want this, but I'm not there yet. And let me encourage you to pursue God this week in whatever way comes to mind for you. Here's what I know. He is pursuing you more than you could ever pursue him. And I know that the spirit of God will speak to you and he'll draw you to himself. I know that for sure. Now, look, you might be hearing this and you might be uh, saying, gosh, Chael, I'm thankful that you're saying this, but I don't connect with this message so much because I don't feel this way. I feel really connected with God and I, I don't feel like there's any barrier. Here's what I would say to you. Don't you dare hide your love for Jesus at all. Don't you hold back. Don't you restrain how incredibly great he is, how much you love him, that he is the desire of your heart. Preach it from the mountaintop, share it with everybody you know, because the world needs to know that this is possible. I think that what God wants to do is fill his people with a desire for himself that's above and beyond everything else, that if we lose everything, but we still have him, it's all that matters. And when we have that, there is a joy that's infectious in us. And I think God wants us to wear that joy well. So if that is you, share it with everybody. Don't hide it. You don't just have to mourn with those who mourn. You get to rejoice with those who rejoice. So let's do that. Let's not hold back. Now I want to end our time together taking communion today. Communion is that sign. It's the proof positive that God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to form a covenant with you where you are forever embraced and loved by him. And you get to live forever with him. And it starts right here now. His body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. It was his, I love you. And when we take communion, it's a simple acknowledgement of saying, God, I need that love in, in my life. I need who you are. And maybe it's, it's, it's usually really appropriate when we take communion to actually spend a little bit of time reflecting and, and praying and actually confessing, uh, confessing either our sin or confessing our lack of desire or confessing our desire for more, whatever it might be. So I would encourage you as you get ready to take communion today, maybe this is a moment right now where you feel there's something stirring up in me. Get on your knees before God before you take communion today. 
and confess your sin to the Lord. Confess your desire for more of him. Confess your lack of desire. Say, God, I want to want you more. I want to love you more. God, would you show me what this communion means for me today, that you shed your blood and that your body was broken. Would you give me a revelation in my heart of what this means? I believe that God wants to pour his love into your heart by his spirit today and believe that you are loved and that you are cherished. You are more valuable than any possession God has. You are valuable to him. So I'm going to lead us in prayer to close us off today. I just think that God's going to do some things today. If you'll just linger in this moment and take communion together, I think that God wants to meet us. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come right now and that you would breathe out your precious spirit, the spirit of Jesus, on every person who is listening and watching right now. I pray, God, that you would stir up in our hearts a love and a desire for you that supersedes everything. God, I pray even right now in this communion, God, that we would know our worth and our value in your eyes, God, and that we would consider everything else loss other than knowing you. I pray, God, that there would be a divine revelation, a divine encounter with you today. I pray, Lord, that people who have never confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord would confess with their mouth right now that Jesus is Lord. That people who have never known the love of God would experience the love of God fresh and anew today. God, I pray that you would disrupt our, disrupt our minds and our hearts so that if there's anything else that's occupying the place in our life that you are meant to occupy, God, I pray that you would, you would just help to disrupt it God, and replace it with a love for you. And I pray for healing. There's healing in the blood of Jesus. There's healing in the precious blood of Jesus shed on the cross for everything that hurts us, for everything that ails us, Lord. So I pray that your healing would wash over every hurt, every pain right now, every disappointment, every loss, every, every fear, every anxiety. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring healing into every living room and to every home right now that's watching this. God, would you just wash over with peace and love and joy the incredible beauty of your kingdom over everyone right now that's taking communion. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would feel so loved so deeply loved that whatever is on their heart, whatever's ailing them, whatever's hurting, God would just feel like nothing compared to the surpassing greatness that you want to pour into their life and knowing you. God, bless them and free them, Lord. I pray for freedom right now in Jesus' name over every sinful addiction, over everything that hinders, every thought that, and every imagination that wants to try to come against you, God, every false belief that we have about ourselves, about you. God, I pray that you would kill those things in us right now and awaken us right now to the freedom that is in Christ, the joy that's in Christ. Release your love by your spirit, God. Fill people right now fresh with the spirit of God. Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. I hope that God changes your heart and awakens love in you. See you next week.